0: Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, brought to you with the Jazz FM business breakfast and now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. How are you? Not bad at all. What was your market moment of the week?
1: Well, I think it's quite easy this week. Even people who don't follow the markets have probably heard about what's been happening in the last 48 hours or so. It seems to have been on every news channel. We saw this, can we call it turmoil in the markets? It's The market sold off by 3% on Wednesday in the US. We saw further selling in the US on Thursday, Panic everywhere, hundreds of points lost off the Dow. It spread across Europe, it spread across Asia. Uh, Fear everywhere. The VIX index, this fear index spiking to levels not seen for a a very long time. I think it was probably February, if I'm not mistaken, when the Dow fell by more than a thousand points. And all of a sudden, everyone's asking this question is this it? Is this the point which the market takes a turn? Have we finally reached a peak? is this just a blip? We know these blips have happened before and if it's a blip then where's the money gone? Why is this blip happening? What's the cause? Who's to blame always the case guess one of the things that keeps the market quite interesting wednesday thursday we saw really sharp declines in markets from my perspective in terms of what the main driver here i think this is quite similar to february to an extent i think there's a lot of underlying risk in the markets right now um, and it's global risk this isn't just one story this is us china ongoing trade spats, tariffs economic impact the imf downgrading its global growth forecast for next year including for the us and for China, despite the fact that the US economy is booming right now, this is Brexit. I mean, we're, we're still not making major progress. We've had some positive comments, as we'll talk about later on in the show, but we've not made major progress. The Northern Irish border is still an issue. Italy going head, head on with the with Brussels and the European Commission about its budget. Um, and again, the Euroscepticism issue there for longer term risks. And more and more and more, we talked on India last week and the week before emerging markets as a whole these are all underlying risks in the market and it's amazing at times to think about why markets doing so well actually if all of this underlying risk does exist and I'm not sure this would necessarily have been so in the past so what happens is when you get these sell-offs in the markets and especially when it lasts a couple of days investors get very nervous they don't want to be the last out the door and we've seen how violent these sell-offs can be so it's almost becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy everyone darts for the door at the same time you see these sharp sell-offs all of a sudden you've got our amazon facebook all of these and it's like 15 20 off and investors take a step back and they say well hold on this is a bit of a bargain and nothing actually happened there's been no real catalyst is this the big day or is this an opportunity to buy this on the cheap and that's when you start to realize how much substance there is to the sell-off and today we've seen a bit of a kickback not much of one a, a little bit but enough maybe just to calm investors ahead of the weekend now the weekend arrives, people, I think, will re-evaluate things and we will get a clear sign on Monday morning, hopefully, just how investors are feeling.
0: As you say, it can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's very important that that uh, sell-off has been stemmed at this stage. We don't want people mulling over it over the weekend and then Monday comes and it's even worse
1: yeah exactly I mean it's always important the quicker we nip these in the bud the better it is because fear does induce fear it's just the the way of the world and you start to see these things really start to catch up and we've seen it plenty of times before I think the other thing as well is the catalyst for this there wasn't a particular catalyst on Wednesday but it's it's felt like something that's been building really and it really started with last week really with the US we had that really strong economic data good jobs report on Friday which we touched on previously Um, even if the headline was a miss there was other positive aspects to the report we had the comments from the fed chair about interest rates if you're looking for the catalyst there's a bit of a delayed response and a bit of we wait a bit of time and see how things go and then the rush starts to happen but i think that you have to look at the us 10-year treasury see that it went through three percent and before you know it, it's 3.1 3.2 3.25 these are very sharp moves to happen in a short period of time the consequences are varied you have the simple fact that people's borrowing costs go up on the back of that like variable rates interest rates companies households you're looking at stock markets and you're saying well yeah i mean there's portfolio your reallocation because all of a sudden people's bond holdings have been reduced and you have to have a certain proportion of your portfolio in certain assets so you have to take money out of here and put it there so there is that component as well and then you've got people looking at stocks now saying well now that this is yielding 3.25 percent the risk premium on this stock isn't looking too attractive anymore so i'm going to sell this and buy this because this seems better value for money so naturally you start to see things moving around there's other things as well like these things do just become quite self-fulfilling most often they're temporary This time, we'll see.
0: And it was President Trump who blamed the Federal Reserve. In fact, he said the Fed was out of control for these sharp drops on uh, global stock exchanges. And he said he was very disappointed, pointed the finger at the central bank's chair, Jerome Powell. Is that unfair on Mr Powell?
1: Let's be honest. When has Trump ever pointed the finger at himself? Uh, and this isn't <laughs> just an anti-Trump message I, I promise you uh, I will happily give Trump credit where it's due and, there's, uh, there's and plenty you have of, on this podcast and there's plenty of things that he's done that's yeah. positive and I don't necessarily even think tax reform is negative I think the US tax system was uncompetitive it wasn't a necessarily a bad idea but what people did say at the time and what he was criticised for at the time in particular was the fact that you were creating this stimulus in a very hot economy and what what was going to happen in that situation was you were going to lead that to overheating the economy so the fed was going to have to respond the fed has responded as many people expected and now trump's looking for someone to blame and i think he's been laying the groundwork for this for months i think he's got some good economic advisors around him people have worked on wall street for a long long time steve mnuchin being one of these and they've probably been saying to him, "This is going to happen, so you need to have your you need to have an, an excuse in place because otherwise, people are going to start directing the finger at you first. If you can set the narrative before they do, then maybe you're having a chance, especially ahead of these midterm elections, to give people the message that you want them to have." So he's been pointing the finger at the Fed for a long time. I don't agree with it. The higher interest rates may be what triggered this. But that doesn't mean that the Fed is wrong in raising interest rates. Inflation currently is around 2%. That is their target. Clearly, what they've done so far is correct.
0: Higher interest rates, trade tensions, which you've got to point the figure at Donald Trump, uh, slowing growth. In fact, uh, we were talking off air before about these uh, latest figures on car sales in China, the biggest drop in seven years amid mounting fears about the country's um, sluggish economy. Although you did say there might be a reason those particular figures being so bad we have to look closer at the
1: data but we have had a holiday in china you wonder how these things can influence um the spending figures and i know that that was at the start of this month but the timing of these holidays can sometimes uh, influence this data so i'll be interested i I tend to look around these periods at the longer run average to see if there's actual pattern forming and i've not seen anything that suggests there's a pattern forming necessarily well we had july
0: falls august now september and there are some that are predicting the market could contract this year for the first time since the early 90s
1: chinese markets
0: have clearly
1: uh, suffered in in response to these trade tensions like that is completely clear and the economy has slowed a little bit but these figures these car figures for example these are quite drastic numbers yeah. and these would suggest that something bigger is uh, amiss whether that be the fact that this is a one-off drop uh, driven by um, individual factors or whether this is a sign that the economy is in a worse place than we think i think it's probably the former uh, at this stage and again i keep saying this famous last words because we're in such a volatile world right now eventually i'm going to say something like this and it's going to be completely drastically wrong so i'd like to cover my own back early um <laughs> yeah, I think I think China, we are seeing a slowing of the economy and that's why we saw earlier this week, for example, when the market did open again, we saw the PBOC come in, cut the reserve requirement ratio for uh, a number of its banks to free up liquidity in the economy, partly to in order to try and offer some support uh, for it, in order to try and support growth in the economy. They do have clear growth targets there, and maybe they feel they're falling short at the moment yes we are seeing some weakness in the chinese data and we're probably going to continue to see the same but as the imf alluded to this isn't just china we are expecting to see a slight global growth slowdown uh, over the next 12 months and i don't think these trade issues are helping that but again to go back to your original point Trump is always going to point the finger of blame at someone else. In most people's eyes, he is at least partly if not primarily, responsible for the situation we find ourselves in right now. Whether or not you agree, and I actually do in many cases, with the policy uh, he is following, and sometimes it's not necessarily even the policy that he's uh, following. I was at an event yesterday at Reuters where Tony Blair was speaking, and one of the points he made was that with Trump, it's not always that you disagree with his policies, and quite often you'll find that you agree with the policies he's doing what you completely disagree with is the way he gets from a to b and that's where he does go off and that's where the consequences can fall and they won't necessarily fall immediately but eventually those consequences uh will will come and that is why so many people disagree with trump even if his ideas aren't necessarily terrible
0: his reputation precedes him in a sense <laughs> yeah exactly Let's talk about Italy and those comments from the IMF's top official on Europe who's issued a new warning to the Italian government over its budget plans saying it should be shrinking the country's deficit in accordance with the EU rules rather than expanding it. And these remarks by uh, Paul Thompson, the head of the IMF's European department, they that they come as the fiscal stance pushed by the populist government in Rome, we, we've talked about it at length over the last few weeks, that's certainly emerging as a growing risk for the global economic outlook. Uh, I- investors have balked at plans to increase the deficit to 2.4% in 2019, which has uh, sent yields on Italian debt higher in the last few weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, where do you really begin with this? There's just so many different facets to this uh, discussion. You've got near-term issues, you've got medium-long-term issues. In the near term, investors are naturally concerned about what this means. 2.4% fiscal deficit, I think I've said before, it's not a huge deficit. It's actually within the EU's rules of a deficit below 3%. The issue that Italy has is and it's an extremely low-growth economy. So when you're running a deficit of even 2.4%, your debt is actually going up. And that's the problem that the European Commission has with this Italian budget. The flip side to that is this coalition government, got to power from a, a far left and a far right populist agenda one promising to cut taxes one promising to um spend more money there's only one way you can really do this and that is by running a higher deficit so how do you square this particular circle do you break your election promises or do you go head on with brussels well actually going head-on with Brussels very much suits their other agenda, which is they are very Eurosceptic. They've constantly run a message on anti-establishment, on the uh, anti-elite. So going head-on with Brussels actually suits their agenda, will probably appease their supporter base quite well this could actually generate some support it also achieves their other aim and this is their longer term aim and again i'm purely speculating here but i don't think it's that wild a speculation and i've said it on previous podcasts what is their longer term aim well they are a very eurosceptic coalition government who are working together from the far right and far left they've kind of dropped the eurosceptic message in the lead up to this they've constantly said that they are uh, committed to the euro but then they drop in these little messages as i've alluded to uh we'd be way better off with our own currency but we're committed we'd be better off with our own central bank but we're committed you're looking at this and i'm thinking this, it's clear what they want to achieve in this and if this is a good opportunity for them to try and drum up support it's italy versus the euro and if they can do that and they can start to change the the, the public opinion in italy then they will see this no matter what the outcome of these actual negotiations are as a victory, the problem that they have is that they're on a tightrope, really, because there's two... The rating agency, I think it's Fitch and S&P, they have their debt currently two notches above junk. If they get downgraded twice... Then they have some major, major issues. And that's what we're seeing reflected in the bond markets right now. That's why the spread between Italian and German debt has gone above 300 basis points, because people are anticipating that if this continues uh, and they get downgraded to junk, that could be catastrophic.
0: I understand the politics behind their Euro skepticism, but what's the end game economically? I mean, are you suggesting that they want to pull out of the Eurozone, not necessarily the EU?
1: The Eurozone, maybe the EU. This is two parties who have run very Eurosceptic messages in the past. And let's be honest, what is the chance of a Eurosceptic party reforming the Euro or the EU in their image? The UK didn't want to necessarily implement that stringent a reform, but we failed miserably. Yeah, we um, came back with nothing, really. And we came we? back with nothing. Yeah. What's the chances of a Eurosceptic co- coalition government in Italy achieving such reforms? It's not likely. I think, from their perspective, they believe that they're better off outside the Euro. Now, we could debate all day long about how damaging that would be for the economy and what uh, how difficult that would be, because if we think unravelling from the EU is difficult, which we're finding right now, imagine unravelling from the Euro. I ultimately think that is their end goal. It was their end goal a long time ago, and I, I don't think they suddenly changed. I think they saw an opportunity to get into power, and they weren't going to get into power if they were promising a referendum.
0: OK, let's stay with um, Europe, and uh, we're edging ever closer to some sort of D-Day, I think for the Brexit negotiations. There's been cautious optimism this week and we've had some um, positive comments from the Chancellor, Philip Hammond, says there's been a measurable change of pace in talks. A deal is imminent. How optimistic are we, though, Craig? I think we will find a fudge but find there is, a fudge there is yeah. so
1: many caveats to what I've got to say uh, the first of which is the fact that I don't I, I, I'm sceptical that it will come next week I think it's going to be November at the earliest and it could even be later on in the year because every time we keep hearing these messages of how close we are we always keep hearing the caveat alongside that which is we've just got to sort out this Northern Irish border it's all to six months ago now, this was, it's always been about the Northern Irish border the rest of it's always been far more straightforward than the Northern Irish border, so if that's where still where we are, then why do we think that that can be resolved in five or six days so I'm sceptical about it happening next week but I think a fudge will come, but that's not the final hurdle because that fudge then needs to get through the uk parliament it needs to get through 27 other parliaments in the eu and it's not going to be quite straightforward i do think we will see a fudge agreed over the next month and then we're going to see the grand old game of politics this is where we are going to see all the strategists and all the parties sit down and go right here's what we have how are we going to play this because labor ultimately want a new election and they're going to do everything they can to force a new election and if that fails then they have to decide how do we get a second referendum because that's ultimately what they've at least indicated they want the last thing they want is a no deal brexit brexiteers would much rather have a, especially some of the more staunch brexiteers would much rather have a no deal brexit than they would a checkers agreement or another referendum we are going to see so much politics at play and i think it I mean, from our perspective, it'll be really interesting to watch it unfold, um, especially compared to what had been a really dull 18 months, let's be honest.
0: Maybe this time next week we'll know a little bit more. Oil could soon hit $100 a barrel, according to uh, some reports, and there are many reasons. Looming Iranian sanctions in November, uh, supply problems in the US, and less spare capacity from uh, OPEC. A lot of people are betting that black gold may head to $100, and that hasn't been seen since 2014, although oil prices slipped back this week.
1: Yeah, they did. Um, it, it's, it's been interesting. The sell-off didn't just engulf equities. It really was widespread, and it's gonna, like, it, it seemed that nothing could escape the sell-off that we saw uh, over the last couple of days, and oil was very much in there. We saw oil fall 4 or 5% on, on two consecutive days. I think there was two really aspects to that. One is, if this is a, a bigger issue, then yes, oil prices will suffer because that will affect demand for oil two is i think the market was very long so i think people saw what was unfolding and thought well here's an opportunity to lock in some profits and wait for the dip and then we can buy there again and we can continue this run up on the belief that we're heading back to 100 so it seemed that it made sense for a lot of people they saw this as an opportunity uh, and that's potentially what was unfolding if equity markets bounce back early next week i have no doubt personally that we will see oil do very much the same especially if there is that still strong bullish belief that oil is heading back towards a
0: hundred dollars a barrel Craig, do you remember the good old days of this podcast when we used to talk about Bitcoin every week? Oh, hello. Well, (laughs) I know how much you enjoyed it. And it's uh, come back into the headlines this week. Why?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was just quite interesting. Like, it has been quite dull, actually, for for some time. The moves that we've been seeing there, compared to what we had previously, have been quite small. And we've just seen this consolidation. It's had strong support, around $6,000, and it seems to have not been able to break below. But equally, it's not being able to scale previous highs every time we've had a bounce. So, it does seem we are eating, hitting a crucial period right now. What was interesting the last forty eight hours is, as I said, oil was unable to escape the sell-off bitcoin was also unable to escape the sell-off and again this may just be a case of just this fear moving money away but then equally it does just bring into my mind this idea that enthusiasts have been trying to sell bitcoin as gold 2.0 now this isn't an anti-blockchain anti-bitcoin message I just think that the market is far more immature than uh, many of them believe. And while in the future, yes, maybe Bitcoin could be this gold 2.0 or it could be a currency or it could be this and it could be that. There's so much, uh, the, 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 there's so much desperation for it to be the case now that people can sometimes ignore what's right in front of them. And yesterday, the day before yesterday, we saw clear proof that Bitcoin is not gold 2.0, that it's just another instrument, and more importantly, a risky instrument, which is why when we saw a risk-off sell-off and a real risk sell-off, Bitcoin fell just as much as anything else.
0: Okay, finally, before we let you go, what are you looking forward to next week? And of course, you mentioned those Brexit negotiations. What else is going on?
1: It's really hard to look past politics right now. So yeah, Brexit negotiations is the obvious one next week. Uh, The Italian situation. Most importantly... I'm desperate to see what the open's going to look like on Monday, because if we see markets opening two, three percent down, as we saw on Wednesday, then I think it could be carnage at the start of next week. I think that would spread quite a bit of panic and we'd start to see real uh, serious questions being asked about, hold on, how deep is this correction going to be? I thought it was really interesting, actually, that Donald Trump did allude to it as a correction on day one. It's almost like, again, as I said earlier, it's like he's been waiting for this moment, like he's had advisors in his ear saying a correction's coming you need to be prepared for this. So the moment this thing came, it came out, oh, it's just a correction and it's the Fed to blame. Like this all seemed to be pre-planned. So I'm interested to see how this really does unfold at the start of the week. If we see a start of the week in the green, then I think this will be quickly forgotten about. So you've got these standard things. We've got a lot of UK data next week, so things like UK jobs report, inflation. uh, So things like that, again, I think will be of interest and a few other little pieces, and bits and bobs. The UK retail, so we've got things like um, Chinese data as well things that people don't really care about, I guess, as much at the moment because politics is such a
0: driving force. It's going to be a fascinating week, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Craig, thank you very much for joining us this week and have a very good weekend. Cheers, you too. That's Craig Earlham, Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London. You've been listening to the Oanda Market Insights podcast, now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.